like peanut butter spread across your organization, we're going to take out the bottom 5%. Well, you've got an engineering department that's a high-performing engineering department, and you're actually um, short on talent. Yet, on, on the other hand, you've got a, um, a uh, let's say it's an HS&E department that they have a, it's not a bottom 5%, maybe they have a bottom 20%, and they're excess people. You can't dictate a standard, oh, everybody's got to cut the bottom 5%. You've got to look at each function by function and decide what what's the right retention policy for that function. Peter Purcell here. And Bill Imany. We're here to talk about... Our favorite topic. Which is... HR. Human HR. resources. Human resources. And are, are companies... How can you tell if HR is being used as a crutch as opposed to what it really should be used for? Right. And we find a lot of organizations out there use HR as a crutch, and therefore it grows into this big, huge, humongous cost center that nobody knows what they do. And yeah, and the reality is, unless you're a Fortune 100 company, and by the way, if you're a Fortune 100 company, you can go ahead and turn off this podcast and listen to something else because we're really talking to the companies that are not the massive global Fortune 100 companies. Right, right. And and so it really becomes a question about how do I know if HR is doing the right thing. And, and by the way, if you're in HR, we are not attacking you, okay? This is meant to be, huh, let's think about this a little bit. Right. Because be- you guys in HR play an important role in the company, but you need to play the right role, not the wrong role. Right, exactly. And I think what happens is, and the reason why I brought up the Fortune 100 company is a lot of companies look to the Fortune 100, the Exxons, Walmarts of the world, as best in class, um, employee practices, and by nature, if you're a large, uh, massive global organization with, uh, you know, 100,000 employees, you need a robust HR process because it's a huge undertaking managing people and putting standardization and process in place around your people activities because you don't do it, uh, you can end up with some big problems. However, if you're not that big, you don't need to do all the things the Fortune 100 are doing. Right. I mean, just to set the context, the reason why you say that, I believe, is because these Fortune 100 companies have high turnover, okay, and they are doing businesses in so many different locales. With so many people. With so many people that when you look at the experiences that the new employees bring to companies and how kind of spread out they are, it's very, very hard to come up with what I think is the most important thing in a company, which is company culture. So I just wanted to, to, well, to clear. I think I'm clarifying what you well, said. Well, you're right. right. Let, me okay. put it, let me put it nicely here, or not so nicely. One of my pet peeves is I, um, we go work with a client. They're a middle market company, and they have somebody in the company that says, well, um, so-and-so, insert you know, BP or, or Exxon or Schlumberger, or Walmart do it this way, and we're going to do it that way too. And I kind of go, oh, great. So you're going to hire um, 100 people in your HR department? Really? 
Seriously. Well, yeah. And by the way, if you're a high growth middle market company and you're nimble, you shouldn't really be doing anything the Walmart way or the the Exxon way. Uh, they do it their way because they are big and uh, they have market penetration that you just don't have. So you need to be nimble. So if you start putting these big things in place, not sure whether it's HR or anything else, not sure that's really going to be effective. Right. And so here, you know, we're going to talk about some signs and some things that we're seeing in, I'll call it um, middle market and two large co- co- companies where um, HR becomes a crutch for the organization and actually impedes um, uh, growth and nimbleness. Right. right. And, and I guess just, just for me to, to, to level set, I guess I, I think of HR and Bill, correct me if, if I'm wrong. I mean, the typical activities that an HR department is asked to do when, when they're a crutch are it's around recruiting, it's around benefits, it's around training, company culture, employee relations. I don't know. I'm probably missing. Well, I mean, things, that's the broad definition of what right. HR is, though. Okay. Really, I mean, let's talk. Let's talk about some of these. And really, the first sign I see is recruiting. And uh, what do you good. Mean? Well, uh, so a good friend of mine, he runs. Um, he's a he, he's a manager in the finance department of a middle market company. Okay. And he he told me the story. He said, "Look, I have this job opening. It's budgeted." Um, we need to fill it. It's for a key role in our company as an accountant, and uh, I need another accountant. I got that approved, and I actually I'm going to hire this lady that I used to work with at another company. I already know her. Um, we've uh, fits well. Well, HR tells me I've got to post the job internally, and then I've got to interview a bunch of people. And by the way, this is how you need to interview them, and this is what you need to do. And by the way, we got to. He says to me. We've got to get our books closed faster because our board's asking for it. I need another accountant to help us get these books closed faster. And I can't do it because I've got to go follow HR's policy and spend six weeks um, navel-gazing about who I'm going to hire. Well, I don't know. I, You know, the companies where I see this, this going well is they actually kind of outsource recruiting. I mean, they push recruiting down to operations or the functional areas. Right. They know who they need. They know they know their people. They know whether their people are capable of being promoted into a position or not. And if the people were, they'd be promoted into that position. So it seems to me that stepping into recruiting at that level of detail for a smaller company is pretty extreme. Well, really, frankly, um, to put it simply, the only thing HR should be doing from a, a recruiting perspective is administering, um, I'll call it, uh, background checks to make sure that you're not hiring a criminal or something like that, and, uh, and and making sure that their resume that they have on there is valid. But as far as getting involved in the recruiting process, who knows better to hire who to hire than um, the function, the finance group or the IT group? They know what they need. Now, in some cases, the IT group might say, you know what, I need some help recruiting. I need somebody to help us. And so that's where you go outsource it, right? That's what you're right, getting at. Right, right. I mean, I, I think it's a clear signal that uh, HR is being used as a crutch in recruiting when HR is being asked to come up with questions, you know, that should be asked. Well, usually the they're asking themselves, and they're telling right. you what the question should be right. in an interview. But yeah. frankly, in this day and age with the Internet, there's so many different specific job boards around different trades, talents, Functions, it, functions, I mean, finance, yeah. IT, um, operations. Think yeah, about even t- down to the wellhead. I mean, I, I know we keep picking on oilfield services, but 
shoot, man, there's so many platforms out there. It, it's easy to find hands, you know, just through the internet. Yeah. Now, most crew, most most pushers know who they want, but you know, it you could go that route if you had to. Right. So, what about benefits, man? I benefits has always been even within our company is is. Man, I just like outsourcing benefits. I well, just like having a third-party provider to just go ask questions to because things change so fast in that arena. Right. And having HR be asked to administer that sure sounds like well, that's another crutch. Well, I, I guess you're gonna somebody's gonna have to deal with the benefits provider. I, okay, so so really, what you want to do is outsource your your benefits administration, outsource that. And and right. so what that also means though is when you're looking for a good benefits provider, make sure and this is what our benefits provider does and a lot of our clients every year when it comes time for um, enrollment for new medical providers and the like, that they're out there actively sourcing and getting bids from different medical providers or different um, um, dental providers or any even 401k. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at those and proactively saying, here are your options, and this is what our benefit provider does for us, is they sit down with us and they um, go through and say, look, here's two alternative plans that could save you some money. Because we all know that that medical cost keeps going up and up and up every year, and it's getting out of hand. Make sure your benefit provider is being proactive, because I'm on a board of another organization where they went up and they really weren't looking at looking at that critically. So if you have that outsource, make sure that provider is doing that. And, and, and administering benefits internally sh- shouldn't be much of a task at all if you've outsourced it properly. Well, it just sounds to me like it's unfair to ask an HR professional to be a benefits administrator, you know, answering questions about, you know, does Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, you know, support this particular shot that I have to have. That's really just best to leave for the benefits provider. And and to your point, the value add is, man, as we know under, you know, the Affordable Health Care Act, healthcare Obamacare. insurance is not affordable. And not being political, guys, is just a fact. And so, because I know our health care costs have gone up by 300%. Why don't they call it the Affordable Care Act when it's not affordable? Uh, exactly, because our costs have gone up. But anyway, n- neither here nor there. To me, where HR adds value in that or the HR function, it's just, again, picking the right provider and then stepping back and let the provider answer all the, you know, the questions and stuff like that. Right. You bring up a good point. So our provider actually comes in and provides education and advice to people, and they call them directly because... Frankly, they, that's their job is staying uh, in tune with what's happening and what are the options out there and what, what are the trends and how to handle, you know, what's the difference between an emergency room and an emergency provider and all these other, and that you, you don't want your internal people. Right. I mean, you're in the business, let's say, let's say you're in the business of providing oil field equipment. You're not in the business of benefits. Um, Administration. Uh, right. right. So st- leave the pr- work to the professionals. Yeah. You know, the other, the other place, uh, the, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's an HR professional. Another place where I think it's unfair to ask HR to, to, to lead or, or play a significant role is training. I know that sounds weird, right? Because isn't people growth an HR function? Well, training, though, why, why do we train our individuals? We train our individuals so that they can do their jobs right and so who knows how to do that better? Not HR. I think well, it's operations. I don't know why you have the training functions. in HR. That doesn't make sense to me because uh, think about this, okay? I've got a, a, a barge engineer that needs training on 
um, the maintenance procedures on a rig. Well, um, I don't think HR knows much about maintenance procedures on a rig or how to deliver it or how a barge well, engineers thinks. Exactly. My point exactly. So why do people ask HR to, to head up training? Um, you know, that should be something that is done at the, op- in your case, I would think, is done at operations. And what you do is you, you just evaluate the managers. Part of their performance characteristics, uh, part of their performance review is how well are you growing your people? How well are you training your people? And uh, maybe in that case, it fits better in HS&E, right? Because well, that's, well, if it's specific to that function. Because, I, and I right. think about cross-functional training, too. When uh, Back when I was a, a finance manager for a mid-market um, oil, oil chemi- chemical company, we, um, we actually took our initiative upon ourselves to train um, operations on finance because it benefited us to train them on how a P&L works so they understood it. So if you leave it to the functions, they're going to come up with their own training. If you tell them, well, you know what, HR is administrating it, then it becomes a chore. Well, i got to go get their permission. i got to follow some procedure, and it becomes cumbersome. So make yeah, it, I, keep it simple, right? Yeah, yeah, keep it very simple. Again, I don't think it's very fair to ask HR to be, be in charge of training. The other area just— But doesn't HR keep things fair? I mean, you, know, you just I, said I, fair. Okay, uh, but but in this world, nothing is fair. That's Anybody, right. It, and, and by the way, if everything was fair, my clients would not be making money because then there's no differentiation. So well, everything's yeah. fair. Then right. Well, but let's talk that, about that, fairness. But how about this? Here's the here's here's the bigger thing. People say, well, we need HR to HR group to um, handle. Um, employee grievances and uh, management um, indiscretions, right? So Bob is my manager, and Bob did something I thought was inappropriate, and if I go complain to Bob's boss, um, he's going to retaliate. Okay, is that really an HR function, or is that a legal counsel function? If If you have a situation where you have clearly documented escalation procedures, right? So you're not my boss, but let's say you are my boss. Well, you sure well, let's are get, my boss. But, but, let's, but let's keep it simple, though. Okay. Forget clearly documented. This is what our clients are doing. They have a whistleblower line. It's outsourced. That's right. That's right. And, and so if I have a problem with my boss, um, I call the whistleblower line. And what's neat about that, it's actually outside the organization, and the people feel even more comfortable because they know that they're they would tell the true story, and they, it's yeah. anonymous, and they've got a service agreement with the company, and there's integrity in place to keep it, uh, I'll call it confidential, and bring up the right points at the right time. So that's outsourced, and then what happens is if it that whistleblower line will then determine what to do with that complaint, and 99.9 percent of the time, you know where it ends up? Legal. Legal. So. You know, if you really have employment, but then the next question you ask yourself is, if you've got a lot of employee complaints and you need a department to handle employee relations, maybe you have a bigger problem. Right. Then you have a cultural problem. But to me, to me... But that's uh, where HR can step in and manage culture, right? Well, is that really fair to ask uh, them just to kidding. manage the culture? I mean, I thought that was the job of the CEO. Oh, yes, you're right. It should so, be it should be the management team, right? Right, it's, right. It's, it, but, but to step back a second towards the, the whole whistleblower and chief legal counsel thing, if I were CEO of a company, which I am, if, my, if I have a, a, an employee that has an issue, 
I want the absolute truth. I don't want the employee to have to color it, and I don't want another employee necessarily within my company trying to translate. I want the, the transcripts that the whistleblower line gives, and I want my legal counsel to deal with it. Because guess what? From a risk perspective, if I don't deal with those types of things very quickly, we've got lawsuits and we've got you know brand tarnishment and a variety of other things. But that being said, culture. You you have you have a great point there. Culture. Well, that was your point. Uh, I know. <laughs> I, but but my point is with culture. Why do is it fair to rely on HR? Ask HR to. I thought to you said drive. life's not fair. Well, life is not fair. Okay, so should should HR should you should you use HR as a crutch to drive and create and drive company culture? I. Well, you know, if you're a big, massive company, maybe. But maybe. if you're a mid-market size company, um, it leader, the CEO? what's it leadership? The CEO? Well, the leadership, leadership team. team, right? Because yeah. they they will. That's part of their strategy, and when they do their communications and their business plan and what they're trying to achieve. So, um, actually, uh, one of our clients is their CEO drives that culture through the initiatives and the performance goals that everybody has, and those performance goals are actually driven by each of the leaders in the organization. So you've got your chief operating officer driving your operational performance goals. And that's all tied back to culture. And, um, you know, so one of my clients, they said, you know what, we're going to be focused on operations, not focused on ourselves. And we're driving that culture. Well, how do we do it? Well, it comes down, it's up to each individual manager to take ownership of driving that culture as opposed to HR doing it. Now, HR could facilitate the process and help um, with some communications and the like across the company, but when it comes down to actually doing it, the accountability lies with the managers. Right. Well, and as 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 you were talking, Bill, what I what I realize is, uh, you know, as we do with our company, culture is everybody's responsibility, not just one person's or one one body, if you will. Everybody's responsible for culture. Now, you and I set the tone. But we we expect everybody to to take it and run with it. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't want to to rely on a single body, if you will, to to drive the culture. It's everybody. Yep. And and with the smaller companies, if they don't have if if employees don't have access to the senior management team and, and understand culture, they're gonna be they're gonna feel totally disassociated disassociated and they're gonna go work somewhere else, which is what you don't want to do anyway. Right, right, and 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 here here's the thing. You th- also think about um, some of the really large, massive companies. They in these Fortune 100 companies, they have hundred thousand hundred thousand employees. They put in these um, practices in place where HR dictates that a certain percentage of people need to be rotated out of the company at a certain age, and yes, they can afford to do that because they've got a massive amount of people. But if you're a more nimble organization, you don't need those dictates from an HR group saying you've got to force retire people at certain ages because, frankly, where's the knowledge? It's with those people. And so what happens is when you force retire those folks, you end up with with a lack of mentorship for the next generation. Exactly. And so then the next generation is trying to figure things out, makes a lot of mistakes, and then you have people in the next generation that fall at the bottom of an artificial curve that, again, HR says you got to cut the bottom 5% out or the bottom 10% out every year. And, you know, that bottom 
may actually be diamonds in the rough that with the right mentoring, they would have been in the top 1% had they had the right influences. Well, think about this, though, okay? Um, if you, like peanut butter spread across your organization, we're going to take out the bottom 5%. Well, you've got an engineering department that's a high-performing engineering department, and you're actually um, short on talent. Yet, on, on the other hand, you've got a... Um, uh, a, uh, let's say it's an HS&E department that they have a, it's not a bottom 5%, maybe they have a bottom 20% and they're excess people. You can't dictate a standard, oh, everybody's got to cut the bottom 5%. You got to look at each function by function and decide what what's the right retention policy for that function. And it should be dictated by management because if you're a, if you're a leader in a, in a um, let's say you lead a division of a company and you've got the operations guys all reporting to you, this should be part of your job. Yeah, and, and it should be a regular thing. I don't think that once a year you let people go. I think if you have performance issues with an individual, there there's some very standard things that you do. You talk to them when you see it. You help. You try to help them. You try to help them get training. You talk to them again. Obviously, you document. I mean, you don't require. It doesn't require a whole department behind this. Right. It's just do the right thing, and then at some point, that individual is is a safety issue. Uh, you know, in the plant, that individual is negative productivity in the back office. So you know what? Help them go somewhere else. Your company is not the right place for everybody to work. And so sometimes it's best to say, hey, we're not the right place for you. Go somewhere else. Right. And I think a lot of companies are, people are afraid to do that and have that discussion with them. And sometimes people appreciate that respect. Now, that being said, there are things people need to think about when they're um, separating people from a company. And there's, you know, let's call it um, things you should know, like things you shouldn't say. And that's where um, uh, an HR advisor can help. And if you start, if you kind of start thinking about what we're talking about here, is a lot of the things that we're picking on are the tactical things that HR gets involved in. And really, if you're a middle market company, um, you you we're not saying you don't need an HR department. We're saying HR should be focused on the the strategic things that are important to the company. And those strategic things are regulatory compliance type things. They're finding the benefits provider and um, advising and being an advisor for the organization and then bringing in the talent when you need it. So let's say you need someone to facilitate a culture session. You bring in some uh, culture feel-good people to come in and do a Barney rah-rah session, right? Oh, a Barney snuffleupagus session. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, so if you get HR to, to the advisory role, which then they become strategic, uh, and even in middle market companies, high growth companies, you know, you're doing business in multiple jurisdictions, you know, Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma, California, New York, right? There are some very unique uh, labor laws. Yeah, especially in that, California. Especially in California. There are very unique labor laws that it's not just legal counsel who should know this stuff. You know, you do need somebody at the next next level or next layer to be able to make sure that as from a compliance perspective, you're there. That's right. And, and that's where an HR advisor, I think, can add tremendous value. That's right. And it becomes strategic. Here's the last thing we didn't talk about, and, I, and you know, it's payroll. 
payroll for me is pretty simple, Bill, and maybe I live in a small world. Um, it drives me nuts when I see HR asked to run payroll. Payroll to me, what's the first word in that? Pay. pay. Who's responsible for pay? Well, think about this. Accounting and finance, Well, right? it's, it's numbers, and frankly, here's, here's the problem we see. When sometimes where you get in trouble by putting payroll in an HR department is um, that communication and link between getting payroll accruals, getting the right timing down, and booking those things for finance becomes a hurdle. And we find organizations that put payroll in the finance department, the, this process moves a lot smoother. And finance people, but in general, are good at thinking about efficient ways to process, I'll call it, dollar transactions. And that's what payroll is, right? Right. So putting payroll under HR, and I, I laugh, I snicker, because it's, you're asking HR to, to be accountants. I mean, you're going to ask them, bottom line is payroll has a huge impact on your balance sheet, your income statement, your P&L. And it has to be right. And so, and by and large, in many companies, payroll is one of your largest costs. And so, why are you asking HR to be responsible for that? Right, right. And, and again, this goes back to HR playing a strategic role in the company as an advisor. And, and if you're a middle market company and you're thinking about how do I build an HR organization, our, our, our recommendation is take the tactical things, outsource them, Put them in other, other departments. Provide, give your managers accountability for being good managers, good leaders, and doing things right, and not try to adopt these, I'll call it, uh, bureaucratic processes the Fortune 100 have put in place that work well for them. Okay, and I'm not right. saying it's wrong for them. It works well for them, and they need to do it. But when you're a mid-market company or you're not in the Fortune 100. Um, really look at that HR role and crafting it as a almost a strategic advisory role in the organization and, and keep, uh, keep it from growing into something massive uh, that a lot of organizations have done and these create these massive employee, um, employee relations departments, massive training departments that really just become or recruiting departments that become a crutch for management. And then management thinks, well, you know what? I don't need to worry about training. I don't need to worry about um, recruiting. HR is doing it all for me, and I'm just going to be a bad manager. Right. You just don't end up at the quality at the field level because operations doesn't feel responsible for all of that. Exactly. So, so we want to thank you for, for your time, but, but most importantly, we would also like to thank our sponsor, Evan, your IT guy, on-demand IT support. Bill, I, you know, you, you, you watched well, I used the them yesterday, and I, I had a problem with my windows. I don't know what happened, okay? And uh, actually went on, went online, went to evanyourITguy.com, put my problem in, which was two clicks. I didn't have to, and in 30 seconds, this um, uh, guy pops up, and he's ready to help me. Told me exactly what to do, fix my problem in 10 minutes. Um, I, and apparently, I didn't run the latest upgrade of Windows, which I should have. But anyway, um, he fixed it quickly. The Evan, your IT guy, is a great resource for small businesses. Uh, that's awesome. So, again, thank, thanks everybody for listening to us and hold on tight because we'll have a, another podcast coming up in, uh, in a week.